0: So today we have a guest speaker. I remember last week I said, wouldn't it be nice if we had John Del Ritchie come and speak to us? Remember that? And then I called him up and uh, he was available. So I said, well, then come because it fits right in with, you know, what we were talking about last week in First John with the, uh, uh, you know, the viewpoint of the world versus the viewpoint of the word and And so he's got a a radio program, for those of you who don't know, on on W.A.R.V. from 9.30 a.m. on Saturday till 11 a.m., and it's called Word View. And so I asked him to come and talk to us about that. I hope he shares a little bit about himself, too, so we know who you are, right? Because we'd like to hear a little of your story as well. And uh, so uh, let's uh, give a good welcome to uh, John Del Ritchie. How about that? That's better. Okay. I think I muted it, I muted it, I muted it, I muted it, I muted it several times over there. But um, I don't want to waste too much time talking about myself, other than to say a cliche I know that I am a sinner saved by grace. I came to know Jesus in 1975 when dinosaurs roamed the earth. My wife and I met in 1969 when big dinosaurs roamed the earth. I had just got back from Woodstock, and I tried to be really cool and impress this young woman that got a job where I was working. And she goes, oh, did you just get hired? I said, no, I just got back from Woodstock, and I thought I was going to be really cool. And what was her response? What's Woodstock? And it just fell flat, you know? (laughs) So I came from that generation, and uh, until I was 22 years old, I never held a Bible in my hand. I didn't say I never read one. No, I never read it. I never held one in my hand until I took a philosophy of religion class at Roger Williams University where I graduated in 1973. And it opened up a whole new world for me. When I first started reading the Bible, I was petrified. I didn't understand anything. I got through the first few chapters of Genesis and I'm like, this is not for me. This is too spooky. This is too scary. And I gravitated more toward Eastern philosophy, Buddhism and that type of things. And I pretty much lived as a practical atheist for most of my life, even though I was raised as a Roman Catholic, barely, barely. We went to a church called St. Mattress. (laughs) You got that. Wow, you guys are pretty sharp. In other words, we slept in on Sunday mornings. My parents were good moral people. My father was born in Italy. It was old school, old school morality and all of that. But none of us knew Jesus as our Savior. It was a foreign concept to me when I first heard that. And God had other plans. And the long and short of the story is he changed my life. From a sinner to a saint. And from one that was searching and seeking to one that has found What I'm looking for, unlike that U2 song, I found what I'm looking for, is Jesus. And I love the ministry. I've been in ministry for 47 years. I just... Uh, transitioned from my church. I'm still a member of Ocean State Baptist Church. I have transitioned from the full-time staff there to uh, doing this type of thing, preaching in other churches. I have a men's ministry at the legendary boxing gym every Saturday morning. About 30 men gather for Bible study and fellowship. I do a radio show, as your pastor has uh, already indicated. And um, I'm preaching at a men's night out, which is an interdenominational ministry in Easton, Massachusetts, on April 8th. Pray about that. And I've preached in several churches in Connecticut. My wife and I did music ministry for many, many, many years. And uh, God has transitioned us out during the week uh, to uh, make my life interesting. I work at UFit Gym. I'm a fitness coach. I, do, uh, I teach several classes. I work at the front desk. And there's more opportunities there to talk to people about Jesus than there are in most churches. It's amazing. I pray with people. They ask me to counsel them. I have an understanding with the manager that I can use my free time to do a little bit of that in addition to being the best worker I can there to help people get in physical shape but also help them to see that the the ultimate goal is to get right with God. You can have a great ripped chiseled body that looks a lot younger than you are But if you're not right with God, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. It's not that you're in bad health. God didn't call us to become better. He called dead people to become alive in Jesus. And that's what he can do. Because as we sang, he is the way maker when there seems to be no way God can make a way. Well, your pastor asked me to speak on a topic that I could literally speak for a couple of hours, and I'll try to be uh, within the time frame here, as I am your guest, and I appreciate your generosity in having me here, pastor, especially. Uh, but talk, to talk about what a, what a word view is. You know, we might use a different phrase having, I think somebody just used it, the young man that was praying or talking about the youth and, t- and uh, children's ministries, having a biblical world view. You know, and I want to talk to you about living your life with a Christian worldview. Or we could call it a biblical worldview. Or as my radio show is called, we we could call it a a word view. Every person, every person, whether they articulate it or not, they have a worldview. And it affects virtually everything in their life. How they view the world. What is a worldview? It's a particular philosophy of life or a conception of the world. What people think about certain things and how they view the world causes them to react and act in certain ways. Worldviews shape and inform our experiences of the world around us. They largely determine our opinions on matters of ethics and matters of politics. This young woman, judge, that stood before a senator and to be a as she was nominated for the Supreme Court, was asked a simple question. Tell me the definition of a woman. This just happened a few days ago. And her worldview is of such that she either did not want to answer the question or literally could not answer it. And you know what her rationale was? I can't answer it. I don't know because I'm not a biologist. So you think about that. That's a worldview that says in order to make a common answer to a common question, what is a woman, that you have to be a biologist. You have to go to college and study biology and be a professor to answer that. I guess if I see a four-footed creature that has fur and ears and a tail that wags, I can't say it's a dog because I'm not a veterinarian. Kind of makes sense. But see, that's a worldview, and the answer to the question... And the answer to a lot of questions and the statements that people make, it's because they are shaped by their worldview, their philosophy, how they view the world. A person's wor- worldview represents the most fundamental beliefs that they have. They shape and inform our experiences of the world around us. And they determine, as I said, people's opinions on matters of ethics and politics. Everybody's got an opinion. You know, my radio show, the the tagline is we talk about current events from a Bible perspective. You know, if I said Supreme Court, everybody here has got an opinion. If I said the Biden administration, you all have an opinion. If I say Afghanistan, if I say Ukraine, if I say Vladimir Putin, you all have an opinion. If I say abortion or euthanasia, you all have an opinion. And it's shaped by something that's how you view the world, your world view. And as believers and followers of Jesus, we need to be careful, your pastor has taught on this, that we don't let the world shape our view, but we let the word shape our view. That we have a biblical worldview, a Christian worldview, or we might say a word view. The world and the people in the world, God love them, God does love them. They are shaped by their culture and how they view the world. Uh, The glasses they put on as they view the world makes them have the opinions that they have. Uh, that's what a worldview is. What is a worldview? I've already said it a few times, but a biblical worldview elevates God's opinion above all others. You know, I can give you an opinion on all those statements and all those topics that I just threw out there, and you can give me an opinion, but honestly, we may be articulate and we may be eloquent and we may be informed and smart or misinformed, but honestly, it doesn't matter what I think or you think. It matters what God thinks. And God gives us revelation in his word on all those things. And then that still small voice of the Holy Spirit can speak to us in particular ways that maybe only uh, directly uh, involve us or you or an individual. So a biblical worldview elevates God's opinion above all others seeing it as the very definition of truth. There is such a thing as absolute truth. Now, I know there's many verses in the Bible that are very difficult and and challenging, and I understand that. After being a student of the Bible for 47 years, I'm more prone to say I'm not sure on some areas. I don't know. I don't approach things as fearlessly as I did when I was young and a little bit brash. You know, I'm, I'm going to say, thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. But there are some things that we have to interpret and understand and put in a context and not take verses here and there. But when we start with this, that's the best place to start. Christians with a biblical worldview or a word view, they allow the Bible to be authoritative in their everyday lives. The story of the Bible, as with the Christian itself, is about a relationship with God. And we've got to be careful I just said, I'm a student of the Bible. But actually, before that, and more importantly, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, I'm a, and I want to have a relationship with God. I don't worship this book. I worship the God of this book, and I know this is the pathway for me to get to know him more and more. And that's what, why, why we need to have that relationship with God and the relationship with God's word. But more importantly, we need to influence the culture and not let the culture change our worldview and not let the culture diminish our word view. We need to have a word view. Why? Why would we do that? Why do we have to be so different? If you have a word view on all the topics, the current events of the day, and if you live your life looking at it through the lens of the scripture, you will be different, and you will be more different now in 2022 than you would have been in the year I was born in 1951. When I was born in 1951, the culture was closer to biblical morality. Do you know that on the old sitcoms, the situation comedies, they couldn't say the word pregnant? Uh, Rob and Laura Petrie couldn't sleep in the same bed because they couldn't put a married couple in the same bed just sleeping and just sitting there on TV. Biblical morality was, was, was closer to the culture and the culture closer to it back then. We've come a long way, baby, and we're going a million miles an hour in the wrong direction. And it's so easy to be, the the world is like this glittery object and we're drawn to it sometimes, like a a moth to a flame. And we need to be careful that we influence people around us rather than let the culture influence us and diminish our light and diminish our worldview. We are called to be distinctly different. It's not always pleasant to be different. It's not always pleasant. People will laugh, people will get angry, people will do whatever. But here's what it says in in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8 through 12. Jesus is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. That's precious. God's very own possession. So Peter says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I warn you, Peter says, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. They eat... even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. We are called to be different. And yeah, we are called to be a peculiar people. That doesn't mean weird, but you know, get over it. Some people are going to think you're downright weird. Some people are going to think you're downright crazy. When Paul stood before Festus, Festus said to Paul, much learning has made you mad. You're insane. And Paul says, I'm not insane. I wish you were like me, Festus, except for these chains. We may be called all types of things and we may be ridiculed, but that's not the issue. If we will stand in the gap and we will stand up and have a word view, we will make an impact on the culture and not let the culture impact us. Paul said in the book of Romans... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable service, or the NIV says your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are called to be different. To have a word view and to make an impact, to be men and women and boys and girls of influence. And we can do this. We can do this. God commands us to do it, which means we can do it by the power of his spirit and by the authority of God's word. We can do it. You say, well, people don't want to listen. You did. Why are you here as a follower of Jesus? Because somebody told you. They gave you something. You read something. You did. I was the least likely candidate to become a Christian. But I listened after a while. They will listen. They're searching. They're searching. Just they don't know what they're searching for. And you have and we have what and who they need to know. And our word view will influence them. One of the greatest ways to talk to people about Jesus is to start with a current event. It's to start with something that everybody's talking about. I say when I go on the radio, today we're going to talk about what everybody's talking about. Because everybody's talking about Ukraine and Russia and gas prices and and the southern border and all of these things and and the the, the gender fluidity issue and the school systems and violence in the streets and high prices and food shortage. And they're all, the supply chain problems. They're all talking about that. Start there and start to give your word View your biblical worldview, start with God, that God's in control when you, when you go through difficulties. Jesus said this. He said, let your light shine. Let your light shine that they may behold your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are called to be different. We are called to be peculiar. We are called to be distinct. And yeah, if, we're called, if, we, if we are called weird by some, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Again, we are seeking to see dead people come to life and to be influential in the gospel. So what is a word view? Seeing the, the world through the lens of scripture. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Jesus said, they will behold your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Don't be afraid to stand out. Don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid to say, well, you know, I have an opinion on a lot of things, but I usually, when I, when I struggle with something, I go back to the source of truth. I go back to the Bible, and right there people are going to go, the Bible? You live your life by that antiquated old book written by a bunch of shepherds 5,000 years ago? And don't be ashamed to say, yes, I do, and I need to tell you that it's more than what you just described. And they will listen. Now, they may not listen all, all the time, And they may not listen from the very beginning, but they will listen. I talk to a lot of people at UFit gym where I work, and some of them are Christians, some of them are not. And one man who is a self-professed atheist, uh, he talks to me, I talk to him, it's pretty respectful, but we get a little forthright with each other. He said, what about that situation in Ukraine? Preacher, calls me preacher. I got three nicknames at the gym, I wear them proudly, preacher. Jean the Baptist, a French guy, a Portuguese guy, goes Jean Baptiste. You know, he calls me John the Baptist, and Rabbi. And one guy got he got a new one. He said, "I'm gonna call you Moses." I'm like, "All right," I, I, I guess the beard. I'm not really sure, but it doesn't matter. Those are all good things. And one day, this loud guy that that, that that is a friend of mine, he he introduced me to about a third of the gym. He goes, "Hey preacher, how you doing today?" And everybody's like, "Who's the preacher here?" And I'm like, "Okay, here we go. I'm preacher. I'm preacher." So this atheist friend of mine, he says, hey, what about this situation in Ukraine? How come your God doesn't stop that one, preacher? I was like, let's go. Here we go. I said he could if he wanted to. I'm not sure why he doesn't. He said, why doesn't he get rid of Vladimir Putin, that evil, you know, whatever? And I said, listen, if God's going to get rid of evil, bro, he's going to start with me and you. Or he's going to get to us eventually. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, we're all evil to the core. We're all sinners falling short of God's grace. If God's going to fix every problem that you see, he's going to have to start to fix some of the problems that you caused and get to you eventually. So I talk a little forthright with him. That's the, 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 the dialogue we have. With others, you've got to be much more gentle. But listen, you've got to talk. There's no such thing as silent Christianity. There's no such thing. You've got to speak it. They can see good works. That's a start. Nobody wants to hear from a Christian jerk. Nobody wants to hear from somebody who's a jerk and judgmental. But they will listen if you have some some talk. And they will listen if you have some walk to back up the talk. Scripture, stick with it. Let me tell you this. I love this. This is from the Gideons about the Bible. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, too, heaven is opened and the gates of hell are also disclosed. Jesus Christ is its grand subject. Our good is its design and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It's given to you in life, and it will be opened at the judgment and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and all will be condemned to trifle with its sacred contents use the word in your life and use the word as you live your life with a word view to be a testimony to others. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You give it to people eventually, they will either reject it because they are are not going to conform to the image of God and be saved or they will accept it. But your responsibility and my responsibility is to live it out and talk it out and give it to people and live an obvious way word view in the light of the culture that is a million miles an hour in the wrong direction. I mean, I could say, what are some of the practical elements of a word view? These would be common ones that you, would, you wouldn't relate to. Lifelong study of scripture. Back in the 80s, a Bible college professor said to me, John, here's, a, here's something I would, I would say to you after he and I had a lot of dialogue. He said, make it your endeavor that for all your life, you will be a student of God's Word. And there'll come a point where somebody could hand you a Bible and you could do this, and after a few minutes of reading, you'd know what's going on in that part of the Bible be so familiar with it that just after a few moments you'd say okay yeah this is about King David this is about when, when uh, Saul was trying to kill him and Jonathan befriended him yeah I, I know what that, that's about and then turn to another page and you go okay yeah this is one of the psalms where David uh, made a mistake and sinned with Bathsheba and he, he, he preaches this psalm about repentance You make it your lifelong goal be a student of God's word a study of scripture that gives us an ever developing relationship and fellowship with God. That's one of the practical elements of a word view. Constant practice of prayer. We prayed several times today. Passionate worship. You guys worship using music as the vehicle in that case. Lives of generosity, lives of trusting in God, lives devoid of critical judgmentalism. Man, if the Christian church at large and Christians by and at large need to get rid of one thing in their life, it's critical judgmentalism. I don't mean we can't say something's wrong and make proper judgments. Jesus said, judge with righteous judgment. But he said, when you say to your brother and you say to somebody, you got a, a, something in your eye, you got something in your eye, there's a speck in your eye, and you got a big log sticking out of yours, he said, go and fix what, your problem before you go to your brother again and remove the speck. And sometimes we can be so critical and so judgmental that it's not attractional. Now, I'm not saying we got to be attractional. But before we start to remove specks and some logs, make sure we go back and look in the mirror and let ourselves be judged. You know, it says in the Bible, judgment needs to begin at the house of God and in the individuals in the house of God. A practical element of a word view, lives lived for God first, others second and ourselves last. You know that old J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. Yeah, those are some practical elements. And man, I could give you like we could, and your pastor could as well, and many of you could. We'd have like six or seven messages right there with each one of those things. But I want to go down a little bit lower than that, more like what we might call the molecular level of a word view. Those are some of the practical surface things, and I, I thought about, you know, speaking on those, and I could spend the rest of my time speaking on those topics, but I want to give you four practical building blocks or foundations of a biblical wor- worldview or a word view, as we've been calling it. And uh, these building blocks and these four foundational things, they, uh, they answer the why of our doctrines, our beliefs, and our practices. And they help us understand the concept of having a word view from the ground up. When you know your why, it helps you to do what you're supposed to do. Why do we come to church? If I'm saved, why do I need to do anything? I'm already saved, going to heaven. Why do I need to tell others? Let God deal with that. Let other people tell them. Why do I need to sing songs when I come to church? Why do I need to hear a message? I've said many things today that are very familiar to many of you. Why do you need to hear it? Why do I need to speak it? What's the why of prayer? If it's God's will and I'm praying for God's will, He'll get it done. Why do I need to pray? Why do I need to commune with God? Why do I need to do many things? If I understand the why, I will be able to do the what with passion and and consistency over the long haul. Somebody else back in the 70s challenged me, say, listen, don't make this a fleeting trend in your life, this whole thing of following Jesus. Be in it till you die. And I've made that promise by God's grace. I'm going to serve God till I take my last breath. I'm going to serve God to the best of my ability, wherever he puts me, however he moves me, transitions me. I am going to be vocal about Jesus. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to honor him. I want to shine for him. I want to run the race. I want to keep, uh, fight the fight. I want to keep the faith. I want to do all those things because my overarching goal in life. I want to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's my overarching goal, goal in life. But I want to talk to you about these four building blocks from the molecular level of what a word view is. Origin, meaning morality and destiny. OMMD, origin, meaning morality and destiny. These are the foundational things of any world view. And in the Christian worldview or a biblical worldview, these are the foundational things that make our view a word view. And then we build from that up into the practical things. The first one, origin. You know, every worldview starts here with origin. Where did things begin? You know, the reality in which we live, time, space, matter, and energy, we live in it right now. Where, Where did it come from? Where did you come from? Where did the human species come from? Where did the universe come from that is so vast and big we can't even find the end of it with these telescopes that are going up into, up into space? And we have the answer. As far as origin, our, our biblical word view says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born, before you brought forth the whole world into existence from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. A thousand years in your sight is like a day that has just gone by, a brief few hours of a night. As far as the origin of all things, we, we start with God. People say, where did God come from? He came from nowhere. He's always been, always will, is, and always will be. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Eternity past, he was there. In eternity future, he will be there. He changes not the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God, there is none else. But in that first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the English, ten words. It describes the reality in which you are living right now. In the beginning time. You know, we just said oh we set the clocks ahead. We lost an hour. You didn't lose anything. Right. You didn't do anything except adjust the hands of a clock or you got your phone to do it or whatever. Time is time. Amen. The world rotates 23 once every 23 hours 56 minutes and some odd seconds. Uh, that's not going to change. That's not going to change. And once a year, it revolves around the sun, 365 days, and we are about a fourth of the way on that 587 million mile journey, a half billion miles at 68,000 miles an hour, all the while rotating at 1,000 miles an hour. And no wonder you're tired. You're doing incredible things right now. And how amazing is it that you're not flying off the earth and neither is this building? Because God instituted this law called gravity, but in the beginning, he created time. In the beginning, he created space. In the beginning, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. And he created ex nihilo, something out of nothing. That's energy. Time, space, matter, and energy. That's the reality in which you and I live. He did it for our purpose. How amazing is that? And it's one little verse in Psalm 33:3. He breathed the stars into space. We serve a star-breathing God. He didn't lift a finger to create the billions upon billions of galaxies with billions upon billions of stars. He just spoke them into existence. We serve a star-breathing God who created the reality in which you live. And he looks at you and me, who know him as Savior, the omnipotent, omnipresent, omnibenevolent, omniscient God, and he says, call me Abba. Have relationship with me through my word and commune with me, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the quiet times of your life. And let me take you on an adventure that will cause your view to have an influence on others. Psalm 40, I cried unto the Lord and he heard my voice and he rescued me out of a horrible pit, out of a horrible pit of clay and put my feet on solid rock and established my goings and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Here it is, many will see it and fear and they too will trust in the Lord. You sing your song? He you said, I'm not a singer. I'm not talking about that. You live your life. You speak the word. You have a word view that influences people. They will see it and fear and trust in the Lord. Not everybody. Not everybody, but some will. You did. They will. Origin. The existence of the universe, Genesis 1. The existence of humanity, Genesis 1 and 2. The existence of human beings as individuals, Psalm 139. I won't read it, but it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you have a DNA that has never before been replicated. You have a unique DNA. God designed you and desires you. And there's never been a human being like you as far as your makeup uh, of DNA. And there never will be. And the, the code that was that that, that made you you was established when the sperm united with the egg and that single cell had your DNA code written in it and then that cell did the unthinkable by the power of God that cell replicated and built the model that is you. you not only did God create humanity in with the first people he created and designed you to be you. You say, well, I don't like you. God loves you. God loves you and he likes you. You say, well, I wish I was this. I wish I was that. I wish I was this. You're going to have to wait to heaven for that. Maybe you can put in a request. You know? To be taller, thinner, smarter, more hair, less hair. I mean, I and not know how it goes. Be happy. Be happy with the way God made you. He designed you and desires you. Origin. We have the answer. Our word view has the origin as the answer. Begins with God. Meaning is the second one. Our word view gives meaning to what we do. Every worldview has a criteria, and they do things because it has a meaning to them. Meaning to words, meaning to actions. In a word view, we attach to words and concepts and actions. We attach the biblical viewpoint, and that's what gives everything meaning for us. God's word and revelation of himself When we learn and live out God's word, meaning is added to our lives. We find out the why of things. Why am I here? Where am I going? What am I doing? When we find out the why, then meaning is added to it. Why am I here? What is life all about? What is the meaning of life? How we answer these big picture questions is important so we can live with hope and a sense of purpose in times of uncertainty and pain and frustration. And we're in that. But we also have so many blessings and we need to have meaning to the things we do. Why do we work? Why do we uh, put our efforts and time and energy into certain things? So there, there, are, there are so many areas where life has no meaning for so many people. And as Christians, we know that Life has meaning because it comes from God and it comes from God's word. He gives us a purpose to glorify God and to give him praise. The meaning of life is to know God. Jesus said, in, in John 17:3, and this is eternal life, but we could put in there the meaning of life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Meaning in life comes from knowing God as our Father. We know the origin of things. We have meaning because of knowing God, and we have a view of morality that is steadfast. Of course, there's some things that the Bible writers never had to deal with, they never had to deal with some of these areas of morality. We do, but we have the answer. We have the, the, the word of God as, a, as, as our source when it comes to morality. Morality has changed in the last 50 years. God only knows if Jesus doesn't come back what it will be in another 50. It's scary and frightening. That's why the Apostle Paul told young Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come, dangerously evil times. And we're seeing it uh, in the Ukraine. We're seeing it in other parts of the world. We're seeing it in the streets of San Francisco. Uh, Let me tell you something. We're seeing it in Providence, Rhode Island. A Christian professor stood before his class and said, what is evil? What is right? What is wrong? And they had no answer because they didn't believe in absolute truth. And he said to a student who said, I don't believe in absolute truth. What's right is right because of the way you see it. And there is no such thing as wrong or evil or sin. And the professor said, son, what if I took a child and slaughtered it in front of your eyes? Would you say that's wrong? Would you say that's sin? Would you say that's evil? And the young man said, I wouldn't like it, but I wouldn't say it's wrong. And we've gotten to that situational ethics in our country and in our world. The Bible gives us the origin. The Bible gives us the meaning. The Bible gives us the morality. And we need to stick with that and not be afraid to speak out in love. The existence of evil, Genesis 3. The existence of sin, Genesis 3. The ramifications of sin in Romans. Condemnation, death, separation from God. And the good news is the remedy for, for sin is Jesus Christ. And the last one, destiny, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Every worldview, every belief system, every faith narrative has some idea if something happens after this life. Some say there's nothing after death. Some say people are reincarnated. I used to believe that. And some that and they live multiple lives on earth. Some say that after death, human spirits are joined to some great cosmic universal consciousness or sent to a temporary place. They might atone for their sin. On and on and on, the speculative list goes. But we know as Christians, our word view is that there is life after death, real life after death, there's an afterlife and our lives are short compared to eternity James says it's but a vapor the book of Hebrews says we live we are appointed to die and after this the judgment and we know that we will stand before God or the great and small will stand before God and they will be judged out of the books and they will be judged out of the Lamb's book of life and we know that if their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life they will be cast into a lake of fire I don't like that any more than you do and I have a hard time even saying that to people I try to say it with love, but that's what the book says. If I'm going to believe in heaven, i got to believe in the opposite. There is no other way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we know the classic verse, John three sixteen. You know it already. I don't even have to say it. Whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. We know the origin. We have meaning. We know the morality that we should espouse. And we know that there is a destiny. And in the book of Revelation... If I could have a few more minutes. In the book of Revelation, it says that one day, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue will stand before the throne and say, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto the Lamb who sits on the throne forever and ever. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the beast that encircled the throne, say, who was and is and is to come. We know that there is a destiny. There is an origin. There is a meaning. There is a morality. But praise God, there is a destiny for us. And we will join that crowd and cry out, worthy is the Lamb. There be no bragging in heaven. Not by works, lest any should boast. Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory, honor, power, and blessing. And forever and ever and ever we will be with the one who loved us and gave himself for us. The end result of having a word view is out of this world. It's out of this world. So as you walk through life, you know the origin. You understand the meaning, the why the morality, it's here, and the destiny. Don't be less than loving. Share your word view with those that have a worldview. They need to know what you know, most importantly, who you know. Do you know him? I don't really know anybody here except my friends, Tammy and Ed, who came here to, to join us today, and my wife, Jan, and your pastor and his wife. I don't know anybody here, but I would ask you, do you know him? You can't have a word view unless you know the word that became flesh. Do you know him? And are you sharing him? And are you following him? Are you being a disciple? And are you seeking to see others come to know this Jesus that you do? It is my honor and privilege to speak to you today and to share with you I'm just a student of the word. I just told you some of the things I've learned lately. And I hope we can all grow in his grace and influence this word, this world, with our word view. Pastor, thank you so much for asking me to preach today. I don't know how you close, but... All right, okay. Father, thank you. You are an awesome God. That's a cliche, but you are. You are great and mighty. And I used that word before, omnibenevolent. Always good. You know everything. You see everything. So as we open our hearts to you, some things we might be embarrassed about, but you still love us, but you chasten the ones you love. I thank you for that chastisement. Help us to not make this theoretical today and clinical and classroom style of having a word view with all these philosophical terms like origin, morality, meaning, destiny, and all of these things we've talked about. Help us to make it practical of telling people about Jesus, living for your glory, and bringing, you, uh, bringing the grace of God to others. We just praise you and thank you. Thank you for this church, this lighthouse, this place of hope in this place, uh, in this part of the state. Rhode Island needs born-again believers to publish the word and blaze it abroad. We are in the least Bible minded place in the country in many ways. Help us to be lights in the darkness and help us to live our lives transparently before people espousing this word view. Unashamedly, and we give you the praise and the thanks and we pray this in Jesus' name. Can you give God some praise and say amen? amen. Yes. Amen. Thank you so much.